Hey there, little jar. How's being dead going? Have you been having good dreams? I haven't been having any dreams because I'm an incorporeal being made out of eyeballs and the sensation of drinking more molasses. So, I don't think I need to sleep anymore. Even if I did need to sleep, hell doesn't really have a day or night because, as Lucy explained it, hell is a jelly donut filled with fire. A jelly donut doesn't have a sun to guide it through a linear experience of time. It just sits stagnant in a box on the counter until a dog eats it at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm not sure if Lucy got lost in the metaphor, or if some merciless leviathan is eventually going to consume hell. And you know what? After my day, I'm up for whichever. I talked to Fate today. She is the head devil, second only to Lucifer, or Lucy, I guess. There's five devils. It's hard to keep track of everyone. No one really explains things well. But Fate's in charge, and Surrender is my devil. Remember, I got sacrificed to a devil by a madman who kidnapped me. That devil is Surrender. She's the one I serve. She, uh, she scares me a little. Anyway, there's a whole hierarchy, so apparently I outrank some of the other demons because Surrender outranks some of the other devils, but I'm not sure who. No matter what, it's wild, I've never outranked anyone before. Or, well, I guess I was the assistant manager of a 7-Eleven for a summer, but this is different. It's more than discounting expired potato chips. I have to keep an eye on the souls of the dead. That's... That's why I was talking to Fate. I didn't really... want to keep watch over mortal souls, per se. Or, I guess, mortal soul. But, I am. Apparently there's... <laughs> Apparently, there's this guy who keeps, like, almost dying and then not and he's really been annoying fate. It's her job to escort people to the afterlife when they die. But she was sick of this guy's near-death experiences setting off false alarms and having to go check on him. So she wanted a volunteer to go for her. You know, so if he actually does die, someone will be there to escort his soul to the afterlife. So she was asking everyone in the Congress of Devils if maybe they, or one of the demons who served them, wanted to do it. And, you know, I was just standing there staring at the wall. I was trying to come up with the story I want to tell you later. It's about a ballerina, and I got sort of stuck near the end, but it worked out. Anyway, I didn't want to be Fate's volunteer. And then someone just shoved me forward. Super hard, too. I wasn't even standing around anyone. And before I could even react, Fate saw me and she was like, oh dope, thanks for stepping up. Okay, that's not what she said exactly. She's an immortal deity, but you get the picture. And I didn't tell her that someone pushed me. Fate's terrifying, so I just, um, I just sort of rolled with it. You would have rolled with it, too. Fate's like 16 feet tall. She's, it's hard to describe her. It's hard to describe all the devils, because they're made out of colors you can't see, and smells you've never smelled, and they're... 
seeing them, it's a, it's like remembering a national tragedy that happened when you were four. You know, you're sure the national tragedy was terrible because of course it was, but now it's ten years later and your mom's talking about where she was that day, where your dad was, how it felt, and you want to remember, to feel something about it, and you try, and all you remember is your mom crying, and you tried to give her your Ninja Turtle action figure to cheer her up, and you remember the Ninja Turtle action figure perfectly. Its left foot was broken, and it smelled like wet dog, and you knew what it felt like to stick it in your mouth because you kept doing that because you were four. And you feel terrible about remembering it that way. You feel terrible for remembering this huge national tragedy as the background to your ever-important Ninja Turtle. That's what looking at Lucy and the Devils is like. It's like a super vivid memory where you're focused on the wrong thing. Like all you can understand is the parts of them that are unimportant. But you're four years old, and that's all you can manage. So, yeah. Fate has a blood-red crochet cape, and she's always knitting with these needles that seem impossibly big, and she has a deep voice, and... And none of those things are the right way to describe her, because the important things about her always feel forced to the background, because she's an eternal ancient being that far surpasses my comprehension. And now I work for her! Yay! Yeah. I ended up talking to her after the Congress meeting so she could give me my new job and... Mm. I'm so awkward. Can you... Can you imagine being socially awkward to Cthulhu? Or the Kraken? Or the Loch Ness Monster? Because that's what it was like. She was just... She was being really quiet. And I was waiting for her and I was sort of really scared so I said... Oh, your name's Fate. I, um, I didn't even think Fate was a real thing. And I did finger guns. I did finger guns at Cthulhu. And she looked me over, the way a chubby bobcat would look at a mouse. And she said, you were American, right? And a Christian? And, and I, I didn't say anything. Um... <laughs> I mean, it's obvious that I was a Christian. Uh, if you have a religious blessing, it burns into your skin when you fall into hell, which is exciting. So yeah, I have this big old cross on my forehead from getting baptized. I think it's supposed to be part of the punishment to have a symbol of the religion you failed as a part of your body forever. Um... And apparently there's a lot of different religions you can fail at, and end up in hell. Anyway, I didn't say anything, and she said, With that background, it makes sense you wouldn't believe in fate. And then she smiled, and I remember exactly what she said, because it was... She said, I have other names. Fate is just a gentle way to say death to say extinction, to say the ungraceful end of all things. And I was like, what? And she was like, here's a magic sewing needle. Yeah, it was a weird day. 
She said the needle will light up and then whisk me away to the astral plane between life and death, uh, to the guy who keeps almost dying. She said if he actually completely dies, to bring his soul back with me. His name's Isaac. I'm not sure how to tell if he's actually dead, though. Like, will he look dead? Will he even look like a person? No one here does. The needle's weird. I guess you can't see it, probably. It's one of those pink plastic practice ones they give to kids. It... it hasn't lit up yet. Anyway, I was still sort of annoyed that someone pushed me. Like, why? Does someone hate me already? I've only been here three... Well, not three days. Um, because hell's a jelly donut, apparently. But it was really rude, so I went back over to surrender, and I was trying to figure out how to ask if she'd shoved me, or if she saw who did it, but like, really professionally and politely. She's probably about 12 feet tall, and she's, she's hard to describe, too. She reminds me of that army recruiter that'd come to my high school. Or, or that one general manager I had at 7-Eleven, and I knew he'd done horrible things, but he still let everyone go home early, so I kind of liked him. I'm, I'm not sure why, but I never really wanted to talk to him. I think they promoted him a bunch after I quit. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Anyway, Surrender has other names, too. She told me when I got sacrificed to her, she was there, and she threw her arms wide and said her name was subjugation, loss of autonomy, poverty, and proletariat, prostitution, and drug addiction, and I don't know. She went on for a while, and I wasn't paying very good attention. I, I, I was getting murdered. I think it's pretty fair. Anyway, I wanted to know who pushed me, so I was going to ask Surrender if she did it, or if she saw, but... Before I could even say a word, she started yelling at me. Why did you do that? I didn't tell you you could volunteer like that for fate. She said it just like that, for fate. Like she was disgusted. Like she hates fate, and now she hates me too. She... Well, she said a lot of other things, too. Not nice things. Angry things. So, yeah. That wasn't great. I didn't even... I didn't even tell her anyone pushed me. I just said sorry. Fate outranks her, so surrender can't fix it. And I don't think I can do anything about it either. I already messed up. She's angry. And I have to spend all day with her again tomorrow. I'm supposed to serve her. And she already hates me. Just like going to church. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> okay. That was... That was the joke I just made. <laughs> sorry. Or, well, maybe I shouldn't be sorry you're in hell, so maybe you don't like religion. I don't know. Or maybe you loved it, and you'll be really upset when you wake up. Maybe you don't even speak English, and you think you're hearing things.
I'm sorry. Let me just tell you your story. Once upon a time, there was a ballerina who was perfect in absolutely every way. She was strong, poised, graceful. She was so good at ballet that everyone in her small town would come to see her dance, even the ghosts that haunted the farmer's endless mint fields. Her skin was a beautiful, sunset shade of soft blue. Her eyes were as pink as her ruffly tutus, and her hair was as white as a cloud during summertime. Of course, she'd looked that way since she could remember, and it had never really bothered her that no other human on earth, not even her parents, had sky-blue skin, rosy eyes, and kinky, curly white hair. It never really bothered her, that is, until February the 14th, 2020. That was the date they would carve onto her gravestone. She was just a kid at the time, and she was walking home after dance practice with her father, still wearing her tutu, but also wearing sneakers. And the sunset that night was beautiful. And she said so. She said, Father, the sunset tonight looks just like me. And he laughed. And he said, of course, because you're a ray of sunshine. And she furrowed her eyebrows and said, no, it's because the sky is all full of blue and pink and wispy white clouds. I mean, look at it. He stared at her like he was waiting for the punchline. I'm blue and pink and white, she said. He stared at her for a minute more. When she didn't say anything else, her father laughed. That's absurd. You're not blue and pink and white. Stop being silly. Well, what color do you think I am? <laughs> her father laughed again. Not blue. I am too blue. No, you're not, the father answered. The only people around here that look like that are the ghosts. The ballerina crossed her little arms. Well, I'm not a ghost, and I am blue. And I think I'm pretty. For a while, neither of them said anything. And then they got home. Their house was small and old, and the ballerina was pretty sure that whoever had built it had meant for it to be a little barn, but it was a lovely home nevertheless. The kitchen light shone warm and yellow against the darkening night sky, and little gnats and moths hung lazily around the warm lamp that guarded their thick garden. The ballerina ran up the dirt path to their concrete porch and threw the front door wide open. She could already smell onions and cooked tomato coming from the kitchen. Hello, Mama, she called. Nobody called back. She turned around and her father bumped into her as he walked in, then walked right past her. She ran after him. Okay, okay, I wasn't trying to make you mad. I'm sorry. He didn't answer her. Father, she yelled. He didn't even look at her. She thought she was going to cry, so she left. She went into the kitchen and said, Mama, father's mad at me. I don't even know what I did. I just said I was blue. Her mama kept stirring her famous homemade tomato soup. Mama? She could hear the crickets start to chirp outside. Mama! Her mama didn't even flinch, and the ballerina ran right out of the house. She sat on the little concrete porch step and put her head in her hands and sobbed. She wanted them to love her. 
They had always loved her. And now they were ignoring her, and she missed them, even though they were both right there, and she didn't know what she did wrong, and she listened to the frogs and the wind blowing through the long grass, and cried. And eventually, she heard crying from inside the house, too. And she wondered if maybe it was one of her parents. Maybe they were crying because they were so, so sorry for hurting her feelings. She walked back in and froze in the doorway. Her parents were crying, and they were dressed all in black. Her father was clasping a necklace around her mama's neck, saying, You couldn't help it, mama. No one could have helped it. These things just happen sometimes. But it shouldn't have happened to our ballerina, her mama sobbed. What happened to me? asked the ballerina. They ignored her. Well, sighed her father, she'll be in the earth soon, at peace. What do you mean I'll be at peace? I'm right here, yelled the ballerina. She stomped her little feet. She had had about enough of this. She walked up and shook her mother as best as her little arms could. I'm right here. Look at me. Her mama sniffed. I'm shaking. It's like our little Lynn is still right here with us and not, not dead. I'm not dead, screamed the ballerina, but neither of her parents would hear a word of it. They put on their blackest coats, their finest shoes. Even her father cried. Eventually, she followed them outside to her favorite spot in the grassy field behind their house. There was a little collection of people and a little grave and a little casket. The ballerina's blue skin went pale. Hello, someone yelled. The ballerina screamed. Oh no, oh no, worried the someone. Don't be frightened, I didn't mean to frighten you. The ballerina's eyes went wide. The somebody was glowing like a weak moon in the cold night air. Are you a ghost? asked the ballerina. Yes, I am, said the ghost, who looked like a little girl about the ballerina's age. The ghost wasn't blue at all, even a bit. Am I really dead? asked the ballerina, scared now. Well, said the ghost, they think you are. And the number one cause of death is other people thinking you're dead. That, that can't be right, said the ballerina. You can't actually prove it's not, said the ghost. I mean, I guess, said the ballerina. So I am dead? The ghost shrugged. You don't look dead to me. That's actually... That's why I came up to you. You don't look like a ghost at all, or like those other people. You just... You're so beautiful. You look like a sunset. Because I'm a ray of sunshine, huffed the ballerina. No, laughed the ghost, because you're that color blue. It's the prettiest thing I've ever seen. Oh, said the ballerina. Thanks. That's... That's why those people think I'm dead. Because I told my father I was blue. Hmm, thought the ghost. That's absurd. 
Yeah, laughed the ballerina. I think it is. I mean, how did they even dig that hole so fast? How'd they get all these people? It's ridiculous. This makes no sense. The ghost laughed, and the two girls talked all night, crouched low in the tall and windy grass, surrounded by crickets and cicadas and little frogs. And in that mint field behind the little house, there was always a headstone that read, Our Ballerina, taken in February 14th, 2020. But she hadn't been taken at all. Of course, people cried like they'd buried someone, but there weren't any bones. The grave was empty, a memorial to self-inflicted loss. And the ballerina, well, the ballerina got older, like ballerinas do. She met other ghosts, and later many other people who could see her. She grew up to be one of the most beautiful, skilled, strong ballerinas in the country, and people came from all over the world just to watch her dance. The end. I miss the sound of crickets. I'm from the middle of nowhere, so I like really miss the sound of crickets. I wonder if there's any crickets in hell. I wonder where they'd go. There's no grass here. There'd be no place for them. Hell's... Hell's this huge, impossible city with floors and layers and ranks all wrapped around in a circle with the big blue lake of fire in the middle at the bottom. Like... Like a terrible jelly donut. And now I'm in charge of this guy's soul. And my boss hates me, and I'm just... I don't know if I can do it. It's... It's too much. It's overwhelming. I, uh... I still don't have a bed. I don't think I need to sleep, so it's fine, but I don't know what to do when I'm not at work. I don't... I don't know anybody. I can't even eat yogurt and feel bad about it because I'm out of money, but I don't even understand how the money here works anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> I, I was supposed to be graduating from Bible college this year. It was my last semester. I was going to be a pastor. And now I'm a demon. And I don't know what to do. Have nice dreams, okay? If you've got crickets around, uh, listen to them for me. I'll talk to you soon. Good night.